It's Friday, March the 3rd, 2017, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, a master's student in civil engineering and carnival survivor, and with me today are Gordon Derrick, a British journalist based in The Hague, and Molly Quell, an American journalist, and both are contributing editors at Dutch News. Uh, so Molly, you're dying? I'm dying. I have like seven illnesses all at the same time. Any last requests? Uh, my last request is to uh, to let Paul have my KitchenAid. That's the, uh, that's the agreement. Yeah. Oh, that's thank good. you very much. Yes. Anyone you'd like to tease before uh, before we go? <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll be talking about uh, bucket list yeah. items. I should maybe think of something a little more creative than, uh, than being nice on my way out. <laughs> this week, we update you on the ongoing Groninger gas story, talk about the oversubscription of university courses in the Netherlands, and we'll tell you all about why a 99-year-old lady was thrown into jail. In our discussion, we talk about the latest election news. Our top story uh, this week. A judge in Asser ruled on Wednesday that NAM, the company responsible for gas extraction in Groningen, must compensate the people living in the Groningen earthquake zone for immaterial damage, such as stress, psychological suffering and sleeping problems. This is a second blow against the Groningen Gas Company, which is a joint venture between Royal Dutch Shell and ExxonMobil, after another judge ruled last year that the company is liable for decreased property value in the earthquake zone as well. A survey showed that 60% of the people living in Groningen do not feel safe living in their houses due to the earthquakes caused by gas extraction in the largest natural gas field in Europe. The NAM stated that they took knowledge of the court's ruling. The head of the Dutch police service, Erik Akerboom, has said the force needs to become more diverse. Akerboom told the Fonskant that he would create 13 new posts for officers of the minority ethnic background. He said the service also needs to be open up to women, gays and lesbians, and people who join after changing careers rather than going through police college. Hundreds of senior officers will be given training to handle uncomfortable discussions about unwanted behaviour by their colleagues. Akerbom told the newspaper he wanted to raise a proportion of new recruits from ethnic minorities from 10% to 25%. He said, quote, the outside world has changed enormously and the police hasn't changed with it. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting and I think positive initiative to see this. I think it's it's better for, for policing when the police force you know looks and, and, and feels like like the communities that they are uh, that they're policing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's been coming for a long time. There's been a fair bit of resistance I think within the police towards this, but um, you, know, you you need to have a police service that kind of reflects the people it's serving, and then that's more it means that you know, people from ethnic minority communities where there's often quite a lot of difficulties are more likely to actually go to the police with their problems. Yeah. So it means they do their job better. Yeah, and I think you get a, a better perspective in the workforce when you have diversity in the workforce as well, right? Because you get opinions that maybe somebody wouldn't come up with or ideas, initiatives, those sorts of things that you may not come up with if you're if you're from just a, you know, one particular group of people. So. Yeah, I think Akerbombs as well said that, you know, the, the police has tended to have a kind of a closed cult in the past, which kind of a code for, you know, people don't speak up, they don't complain, and this is a way of, you know, making sure that if there are problems within the service that it's that it's dealt with properly and it doesn't, you know, hold back people's careers. Yeah, good. Well, I hope it, uh, it helps out uh, improving policing in the Netherlands. Dutch intelligence officials were among U.S. allies who provided information about Russian meddling in U.S. elections. According to an article in the New York Times, three former Obama administration officials told the newspaper that both Dutch and British intelligence officials reported on meetings between the Russian government and associates of then-candidate Donald Trump. 
Allegations regarding Russian interference in U.S. elections are ongoing. Trump's pick for Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, announced yesterday that he will recuse himself from the investigation into Russian involvement after it came to light that he had lied about his own meetings with Russian officials during his confirmation hearing. Right, so is there anybody left uh, who the Russians aren't spying on? No, I don't think no, so. There's no. been some allegations of, uh, of Russian hacking of Dutch elections as well, so now they have to uh, be all counted by paper mm. for fear of these sorts of things. Yeah, and there's a suggestion, I think, there's just two people that uh, the Russians are trying to interfere with the Ukraine referendum back in uh, April. Yeah, there were some suggestions indeed. So uh, the Russians are very active in all the elections. Uh, I wish they were so active in their elections as well. <laughs> Universities with a limited number of places for certain degree courses have been heavily oversubscribed. The so-called numerous fixes, meaning that universities select students based on their high school grades, interviews or tests, will be installed next year in 91 academic programs, which receive almost 47,000 applications, while there are only 19,000 19, places available. The most popular academic program is International Business Administration at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, with 2,300 applications and only 575 places. Other popular courses include Aerospace Engineering in Delft and Medicine at all other universities. I had a uh, student assistant who got into the uh, International Business Administration program oh, really? at Erasmus University, which I assume now is based on my recommendation letter. <laughs> I am sure, I'm sure. Well, congratulations to her. Yeah. And what's the point of uh, implementing the fixed number in the first place? Uh, well, these uh, uh, educational uh, institutes are afraid that uh, the market will be flooded by, uh, for example, too many architects uh, in, in the coming years. So they install the, uh, the fixed number uh, policy to make sure that there are not, not too many uh, architects uh, mm -hmm. graduating from that school. Yeah, so they don't have architects hanging around on street corners and uh, making <laughs> nuisance themselves. But it's interesting though, I mean, I've, I feel like aerospace engineers are always uh, highly in demand in industry, so it's funny that they cap those. and. And doctors as well. I mean, those those are not two professions that you think about like sort of hanging around at the food banks because they're unemployable. <laughs> yeah, but you you don't want too many doctors, right? And uh, uh, aerospace engineering is such a popular uh, uh, program that they just have to uh, install the uh, the fixed number policy. Um, interestingly enough, here in the Technical University in Delft, they installed uh, the fixed number uh, at architecture a few years ago, and the year after they installed this, they received fewer applications than there, than there were places. So it, it's all, all, all also scaring away uh, yeah. uh, a lot of students, unfortunately. Uh, animal news now, and a water board in North Brabant has had to take action against a beaver who's burrowing into the dikes that hold back the river Mass. The network of beaver tunnels was threatening to destabilise the Mass dike in Kassel. However, because beavers are a protected species, the water board in Anne Mass had to apply for permission before they could drive the animal out of his habitat. The burrows have now been concreted up and the authorities are taking steps to stop the busy beavers interfering with the dikes again. It's good to know that the uh, people in Moss can sleep uh, yeah. sleep well at night, yeah, not, they, not they, being concerned that their houses are going to be flooded. They don't have to yeah. be afraid as of a, beavers. As a result of, uh, yeah, of, of, of overactive beavers. <laughs> Photos 
of a 99-year-old Dutch woman sitting in the back of a police car in Nijmegen made headlines this week, but not for the reason you think. The woman, identified only as Annie, wasn't part of some nonagenarian crime syndicate. She was fulfilling a wish on her bucket list. The chief of police of Nijmegen Zoud told The Guardian that Annie's niece had revealed that one of the items on the Dutch grandmother's bucket list was to be arrested by the police and spend a night in jail. According to the police chief, Annie had always been very well behaved and wanted to experience a walk on the wild side. Annie isn't the only one with a rebellious bucket list. A pensioner from Chicago wanted to smash a car into a garage, and a terminally ill teenager in Ohio asked to shoot someone with a taser. So is this the origin of the, of the song, Annie, Get Your Gun? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess these bucket lists have become quite popular after that, that movie that came out, I don't know, eight, ten years ago or something like that. The one with Jack Nicholson and yeah, uh, Morgan exactly. Freeman. What's but this movie called? The Bucket List. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, more often it's things like uh, watch a sunrise come up on yeah. the ocean or, like, hike some sort of mountain. But, you know, some people have... Uh, different wishes in life. Yeah. I was impressed with the fact that um, the uh, the police force in Chicago provided uh, not just the taser, but also the victim for that particular... <laughs> yes, this uh, terminally <laughs> ill teenager was able to tase ju not just a police officer, but also her uncle, which... And that maybe, wasn't an accident? You know, maybe this will become my dying wish, to uh, to tase Paul before I, <laughs> before I die. Uh, I, I hope you will not bring uh, the taser with the next uh, Christmas dinner. Yes, perhaps that'll be a good <laughs> and idea. There, there will be more uh, taser to uncles and <laughs> Uh, I've, got, I've got a feeling this, is, this idea would never got off the ground in the Netherlands because of the health and safety regulations. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you have to fill in about 20 forms before you could do it. And you'd, be, and you'd, be, you'd be dead by then. With less than two weeks to go until the election, the latest opinion polls show the gap tightening between the front runners. Prime Minister Mark Rutte's Fefe Day party is now level with Geert Wilders' Fefe in the latest aggregate poll, the Peiling Weiser. Both parties are predicted to gain around about 25 seats. Behind them, the Christian Democrats have moved into third place on 18, followed by Deza Sensestich and the Green Party Groen Links. The big loser this week's been Henk Kroll's pensioners party, Feiftig Plus, after its leader had what we charitably call a difficult week in the media. We'll be discussing the state of the parties and the latest developments after this word from our sponsors. Don't know the difference between the PvdA and the PvV? With Dutch national elections rapidly approaching, Dutch News has all the election coverage you need. Our reporting is entirely in English, and we publish daily updates about the polls, debates and campaigns ahead of the March 15th election. Every week we feature a long-form article about a topic which features prominently in this election. On the evening of the election, we'll host a live blog on our site discussing the results as they come in. You can find all of the Dutch news and election coverage at dutchnews.nl slash election-2017. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. The end is near, at least what the Dutch elections is concerned, with only uh, 10 days to go. Or the entire country, if certain parties win, according to other certain parties, we thought it's an excellent moment to take a look back at the election campaigns and analyze the latest polls, and we're also going to do a bit of pre-forming uh, the next coalition. So, uh, Gordon, what are the uh, polls looking uh, right now? Yeah, so as we just said, the polls are looking uh, quite tight now at the moment because um, uh, Geert Wilders' Pfeffe party has come down. Uh, they were on about 35 seats around about Christmas time. They're now looking at something between 23 and 27. Yeah, 35, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and now the the Fefe Day have, well, not caught them up, but... Uh, They're tied. They, they, they are now tied on between sort of 23 and 27. And then after that, you've got the um, cluster of three parties, the Christian Democrats, CDI, you've got Deisens and the Progressive Liberal Group, and you've got uh, Groen Links. 
Um, and the, the other big uh, move this week has been that Five to Plus, who were looking good for about sort of eight to ten seats, the Pensioners Party, they're now slumped to around about sort of five or six. Yeah, it turns out uh, Hank Kroll can't keep the uh, the uh, pension legislation uh, straight in his head. It seems. Yeah, he's, he's struggling with his um, with his acronyms, and he? he gave an interview where he sort of mixed up the AOV and the AV and the VAO. Yeah, and the VAO is, is it the long term disability, right? Long term yeah, disability law, um, uh, and he didn't do that in this. In this particular interview, not, he, he didn't mix them up once, but twice, and possibly three times, three times yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, he blamed this on him being tired after spending the entire day in a hospital. And this comes after uh, he had he had been he had had some trouble in the media the previous week for they didn't release their uh, economic platform to be analyzed by the Sepe Bay, instead hiring their own consultants. And it turns out that quite a bit of the information that came out of that was drastically incorrect. Well, uh, yeah, and then, then Hank Cole got his um, figures in a twist because you know, he started off by saying by arguing that uh, well the Sepe Bay analysis from the government economic planning agency was that uh, it would uh, Cole's main policy which is to bring the retirement age back down to 65 would cost the state 12 billion euros and uh, Kroll produced his own figures where he said no actually over the long term by 2060 uh, it would actually would actually make a long-term saving um, but then um, in, in, in later interviews he went back on that sort of two or three times and ended up saying that uh, yes it would cost us something but it's the price we have to pay and it all kind of unraveled yeah and uh, the the minister uh, for uh, finance uh, immediately pointed out th pointed out that their calculations uh, made use of a little uh, administration trick, mm. um, which caused uh, uh, them to appear that their pension plans would be uh, feasible. Uh, but he immediately uh, realized that that wasn't true, and uh, he yes, pointed and that out. And he, after that. Hankel got asked about this, and he couldn't answer it uh, properly, probably because he didn't understand it. And he sort of, so, uh, yeah, and he sort of made um, a rod for his own back because he'd um, earlier on he'd accused the uh, deputy prime minister Lord of Agasso of lying about uh, this whole thing. Exactly, well, and so, then yeah. a few days later he is the one lying about yeah. it. And of course, they, uh, the Five Two Plus party had to have a press conference, which he was not invited to, yeah. in an attempt to try to salvage this situation. Yeah. Yes, because he he came up with uh, with another story five times over the course of the week. So. Eventually, the party leader said, no, we're yeah. going to have yeah. a press conference and uh, we're not going to invite Hank Wall because he will uh, mess things up. Yeah. Yeah. not a very good sign. And yeah. as a bit of a result of this, they are they're quite down in the polls. Yeah, they dropped uh, almost uh, half. Yeah, from ten to uh, to six now. So. They're not the only ones that are down though. After uh, after poor uh, showings with the media, because the VNL also is uh, is down in the latest polling data after a pretty terrible uh, interview with their party leader Jan Rose. On, yes, uh, but they're only down one seat. Yeah, but they yeah. didn't have that many seats. To begin with. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, they, they've lost the one notional seat they might have gained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he had a pretty turbulent time, didn't he, on the um, Power Munich uh, late night talk show where uh, he was. Uh, they, they showed a montage of his uh, his clips from his previous job where he was a kind of aggressive roving reporter kind of Dennis Penis type uh, yes uh, uh, he uh, worked as a, a satirical journalist and he asked a lot of questions uh, not only to politicians but also to normal people on the street or, or, or attending a fair or whatever and um, um, not always very polite questions always a bit offensive always a bit 
Yeah, in particular, the 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 clip on the the talk show had um, was uh, a lot of questions that were sort of uh, kind of discriminatory against gay people and also very nasty towards women. And of course, his whole platform is to quote, you know, bring back Western values to the Netherlands. Yeah, it's so a bit hard to take him seriously. Since. So justifiably, uh, he was asked, "Are you the right person uh, on the right place to, you know, uh, uh, be the uh, a guardian angel of the Western values, even though you're not the the most uh, gay friendly?" A women-friendly person on the earth. Yeah, and yeah. then suddenly he's turning around and saying he's trying to, you know, saying he's trying to protect Western values from, you know, um, uh, uh, Muslims who are discriminating against uh, women and gays. When that was what he was doing in his previous career, and well, he, he tried to fight back against it uh, later this week. And he, he he said that this was just another example of the, you know, um, uh, the lefty media stitching him up. But uh, when he when he saw some of the things that he actually came out with, I think you know, Alexander Pechtold was quite very critical of him on the show that he'd actually uh, you know um, raised questions about Mark Rutter's sexuality at one point and he said that that's just a line just you don't cross in politics you know you don't you don't speculate on the private lives of um, public figures or politicians yes because he made a he made a joke about uh, Mark Rutte, the prime minister who isn't married or has doesn't have a relationship uh, being gay, uh, being right? gay. Yeah. 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 So. although the best thing to come out of that interview was the uh, gifts from Pechtel's <laughs> yeah, yeah, facial yeah, expressions yeah, yeah, which were yeah. amazing <laughs> yeah it's, it's been a top election so far for gifts <laughs> The gift makers are certainly flying high. <laughs> so, Gordon, I mean, you had this uh, this this post that you had written a, a few weeks ago about the uh, the PVV and not being able to form a coalition, which I, I think is interesting because a lot of times when you read about Dutch elections in the foreign press, you get the understanding that because Hert Wilders is likely to have the largest number of seats in Parliament, that he will, of course, be the next Prime Minister. But that's not how the situation works here, and it seems very unlikely that he's going to find a whole lot of friendly coalition partners. Yeah, no, in the Dutch system, I mean, the main thing is whether you can form a coalition, and even if you end up being the largest party in the in the election, it uh, doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be prime minister, although you do tend to get first refusal, first chance to try and put a government together. But when you look at the figures, almost all the parties have ruled out working with Geert Wilders. Um, Mark Rutte of the Fefe Day has said his chances of working together with Wilders again yeah, zero um, because uh, he formed a coalition that wasn't with Wilders but was supported by Wilders um, uh, in 2010 and that fell apart because Wilders um, withdrew his support um, at a very inconvenient time when they're trying to get through a budget cuts package. So um, Mark Rutter doesn't want to uh, form a coalition with Wilders. Also the Socialist Party, uh, they've categorically said they will not go into coalition with him. And other parties as well, Groen Links, Dezes and Sestig, have been very, uh, pretty much stood opposed to Wilders um, for the whole of the last 10 years. Um, so really, you would think when you look at these numbers that the only really plausible coalition um, is probably going to be uh, at least formed on the basis of uh, the Fevide Margarita with um, probably the CDR, the Christian Democrats and Deza Zestuk. And that's something that Rutte himself said in an interview or in a, um, in a leaders' debate last week, that those are the two parties he'd favour going into government with. And that's looking the way it's going at the moment. Yeah. Yes, a claver of Groen uh, Links had this uh, statement during the, the debate and the, that's no longer called the Prime Minister's debate because <laughs> no one showed up that could possibly be Prime Minister, that he wanted to see a coalition formed between the parties that were there, which was the PVDA, the Desistic, CDA, Groen Links and the SP. Yes, yeah. uh, he said that is my preferred coalition. It's of course a bit uh, a leftist, uh, leftist uh, coalition. And at the moment that debate was held, looking at the polls, they had an exact majority of seventy-six seats. However, 
uh, that coalition doesn't have a majority in the Senate. And that's also a complicating factor because the Senate became more and more political uh, over the last years. And uh, the last government, VVD uh, uh, and uh, PvdA, didn't have a, a, a majority in the Senate as well. So they always had to look for additional support and to form occasional uh, um, coalitions with other parties to make sure that they have a uh, majority in the Senate as well. Yeah, so to kind of co um, do kind of backroom deals as they went along with, uh, min with minor parties in Parliament to get the legislation through. Yes, w w which you can think is a good thing because now they really have to, you know, find consensus and a, and a vote on a party that's not in government is now still s s worth something because, you know, they have uh, influence on, on, on certain policies. Mm. So you can, th you can th see this as a positive thing, but... Uh, things move slowly when you have to negotiate, of Indeed, course. Indeed, yeah. But, and that uh, core of FFD um, uh, and CDA and Desert they, they've got, I think, 35 senators. So they've almost got a majority by themselves. They almost so, have a majority, yeah. so they only need one extra partner, yeah. not only in the Senate, but also in the in Parliament as yes. well. They possibly need one or two, depending on how the um, how the numbers work out after, at the yes, election. Yes, indeed. Um, you, you, the most logical, based on their points of view, uh, the most logical extra additional partner would be PVDA, but PVDA is losing so many seats uh, compared to the last elections that they are probably going to prefer to lick their wounds in the opposition the, the coming four years rather than uh, uh, be in government again. So uh, based on the, uh, uh, the polls right now, the next logical partner would be GroenLinks, uh, and that would be the first time GroenLinks will be in a uh, government. Oh, that'll make Jesse Klaver happy, I'm sure. He is aiming to become prime minister, so he wouldn't yeah. be happy with a uh, secondary coalition uh, playing the third or the fourth violin. Yeah. He wouldn't be happy doing that. Yeah, he also challenged Lord of Agassa, didn't, of, of the, uh, the Labour Party leader, to try and form a coalition without the Faith Day either. So he, he was proposing having a coalition with neither of the first two parties. And yeah. that would really be unprecedented. Uh, that would be really unprecedented. And would it be, uh, would they be able to, to, to get a majority in Parliament, then they would really need to form a coalition with six, maybe seven parties. Yeah. Uh, that would be unprecedented as well. Has it happened here before where the, the party with the largest number of seats in Parliament is not, is excluded from the yes, governing coalition? Yes, that happened several times. Yeah. So yeah. it's not so it's unprecedented. So that, that's not a problem. No, no. Yeah, famously happened in the 1970s, didn't it, when the Labour Party were excluded from a coalition uh, that was um, between the Christian Democrats and Faith Day and Dezis and Cessna. But and now I come to think of it, it would also be uh, unprecedented. Right now in the polls, Faith Day and PVV are tied. Uh, we never had a tie uh, with the largest parties uh, ever before, so that would be unprecedented as well. Yeah. If this, these were the election results, uh, yeah, it would be very interesting. interesting. Yeah, and of course, yeah, and the other thing is that we've never had uh, a winning party having as few seats as 25. I, yeah. think, I think the lowest number was voted with 31, wasn't it, yeah. two, two yeah. elections yeah. ago? Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, so it's gearing up to be an interesting uh, so election. It's about as tight as the tightest election has ever been. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it used to be that uh, uh, the winner of the largest party, the leader of the largest party, uh, would be invited by uh, the Queen to, uh, you know, to investigate a possible uh, coalition. Um, but uh, since recent years, uh, the uh, parliament took over that role because they don't like to see uh, the royal family being involved. the royal family being involved yeah. in uh, forming a government. Yeah, the queen was very unhappy about that at the time, apparently. Yeah, yeah that's was the reason of her abdication. Exactly. So that's it. I'm off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. She probably didn't like the, the cake they were serving at uh, the negotiations. Well. <laughs> they got cake, not just a single cookie. What sort of Dutch? Uh, well, one party. single piece of cake. One single piece of cake. One, one tiny minuscule piece of cake on the on the corner of your saucer. There you go. Yeah. Fair enough.
enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a thing in the Dutch uh, coalition uh, world called uh, breakpoint or, or red lines or deal breakers. Um, uh, these are uh, 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 ideas or policy proposals by parties, and they uh, beforehand say we want this uh, to be implemented, and if this is not uh, going through, then we will uh, shut the negotiations down. And for example, SP, they are really making a point of their Zorgfonds or their single payer uh, healthcare uh, plan, and they really want that implemented. And if the, if it's not, then they won't form a government. Yeah, and of course, 50, uh, 50 plus as well, they're quite categorical in saying that uh, you know they won't have any kind of discussions unless uh, the other parties agree to bring down the retirement age. Yes, and and almost all other parties, for except uh, SP and PVV are not planning to do that, mm. so they are already excluding themselves from yeah. every negotiate coalition negotiations whatsoever, and actually SP as well, because almost no one wants the uh, Zorgfonds uh, implemented as well. Now, the, um, the PVV has said that they would uh, agree to this reduction in the pension age, right, which is the 50-plus party's uh, big, big thing. Yeah, so 50-plus and uh, PVV, they, they will uh, negotiate <laughs> among them, but they yeah. will never get a, get a majority in parliament, yeah. so there's no yeah. point of them uh, working together if no one else is uh, yeah, that's fair. or if they if they exclude everyone else so. yeah. and of course Wilders last uh, time or two elections ago uh, said he'd uh, keep the pension age at 65 so he hadn't gone up by then and then one of the first things he did um, in his uh, agreement with the government was to say no we'll raise it to 67 so yeah at day one of the negotiations that. yeah so um, it's uh, kind of surprising that he uh, keeps uh, convincing everyone that uh, all the other parties are liars <laughs> even though he's the one uh, that uh, uh, made his red line uh, a little bit less red. Although this is the reason that nobody wants to work with him in, in terms of a coalition government or these sort of exact things, right? I mean, it's not just because he has terrible hair and says awful <laughs> things on Twitter. It's also because, you know, during all these coalitions negotiations, he's backed off and, and said, oh, we'll support this and then changed his mind and backed out at opportune times, which makes it really difficult to be willing to work with him. Yeah, there, I think there's a number of reasons things going on and also just a, a lot of his, um, you know, the points in his election manifest still are, are unworkable, things like closing mosques. And also that... Hey, Closing mosques is going to save 7 billion euros a year. <laughs> so he says, yeah. it must be true. Um, yeah, and, and also that um, Mark Rutte has said uh, quite categorically he will not with work with Geert Wilders unless Geert Wilders takes back his comments um, about fewer Moroccans, which Wilders is not going to do. Because it's uh, you know it's one of the things that he um, he uses to um, to raise sympathy among his supporters. Right. Yeah. So the PVV is really traumatized by the, uh, them working together with the PVV uh, um, six years ago. Yeah. Uh, so they're not willing. Uh, I think so to 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 form another government with PVV, even though a lot of left uh, parties uh, are really you know uh, uh, warning everyone that that's probably going to happen. Uh, yeah, I've heard some uh, people say things along the lines of that a vote for the PVV day is really a vote for the PVV. Yes, but as long as uh, Rutte uh, uh, remains the leader of the PVV day, I I don't expect them to uh, form a coalition with the PVV. Yeah, and of course the CDR as well. They were in that they were the junior party in that coalition in. Uh, that was supported by Wilders, and uh, they had a fairly traumatic time of it as well. With um, uh, one of their ministers, Geert Leers, uh, got a very hard time from Wilders because Leers was the minister for immigration, and uh, so that, that he had uh, Wilders uh, on, on his doorstep every morning, demanding to know why the numbers weren't coming down fast enough. Right, of course. That is all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything that we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. My thanks to Paul Peters and Gordon Derrick. I'm Molly Quell, and we will be back next week.